Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Zookeeper dies after tiger attack at Palm Beach Zoo. Stacy Conweiser, 38, was mauled by a 13-year-old Malayan tiger. This attack happened just before 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time last Friday. Apparently, this young gal was preparing the tiger for some upcoming performance. Zoo spokeswoman Nakey Carter told WPEC the incident took place in the night house where the tigers sleep. So at some point, the tiger was tranquilized. Authorities had to wait until the drugs took effect on the tiger before rescue crews could get to Conweiser. And then she was taken to a nearby middle school where a helicopter flew her to St. Mary's Medical Center. According to the zoo, Conweiser had worked at the zoo for three years and loved tigers. Conweiser's husband, Jeremy, was also a zookeeper there. This was her specialty, Carter said. I kind of referred to her as a tiger whisperer. They spoke to each other in a language that only they could understand. And I can't put into words or make you understand for anyone who didn't know Stacy how much she loved these tigers and how much the zoo family loved her. The Malayan tiger is extremely endangered with less than 250 left in the wild. Carter explained that the Palm Beach Zoo is part of a breeding program that aims to keep the animals from becoming extinct. The Animal Legal Defense Fund called upon OSHA and the U.S. Department of Agriculture to expedite its investigation and impose a penalty that would, quote, ensure an end to these preventable deaths in zoos. So I have three points about the story I want to make. First, this does not surprise me. It's terribly upsetting and my heart goes out to Stacy's family. But these things are bound to happen. It's happened before. It happened again to this young woman, and it will happen yet again. Wild animals belong in the wild. They don't belong in your home as your pet. They don't belong in a cage in a zoo. They don't belong in a tank at a sea park. They belong in the wild. Secondly, the Animal Legal Defense Fund called upon OSHA and the U.S. Department of Agriculture to expedite its investigation and impose a penalty that would ensure an end to these preventable deaths in zoos. Again, the only way to prevent deaths or humans getting hurt at zoos is to prevent human and wild animal interaction, which is practically impossible at a zoo, right? I mean, when you keep an animal in captivity, a human has to feed him. A human has to care for him. Apparently, there was some performance she was preparing the tiger for when she got mauled. So there's always some level of human interaction with these captive animals. Now, granted, maybe she broke some protocol when she entered the enclosure where the tiger was or or how she entered the enclosure, which might have frightened the tiger. Who knows? And she might have been working with this tiger for many months without incident. But I'm just saying The story does not surprise me. Which brings me to my third point about this news item, which is the reason the zoo claims this animal was kept there at this particular zoo. According to the spokesperson, the Palm Beach Zoo has some involvement with a breeding program that aims to keep the animals from becoming extinct. So what do you think about this notion that keeping individual wild animals in captivity to prevent the species from going extinct? I mean... If you're a typical zoo-goer or zoo-supporter, then I suppose it wouldn't matter much to you the reason animals are kept in captivity. However, if you're like me and you oppose the typical zoo and oppose the notion that holding animals 
in captivity for profit, entertainment, or exploitation is just wrong and unethical, then ask yourself, would you also be against keeping a tiger captive if you knew that doing so would save the species from going extinct? But before answering that question, we should ask ourselves the following. Does keeping individual wild animals in captivity and part of a breeding program accomplish something, anything for the conservation of that species? Or is the so-called conservation work that many zoos claim they do bogus? I asked our friend Mark Beckoff, who is Professor Emeritus of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at the University of Colorado. Mark has published numerous books on animal behavior, animal emotions, animal protection, and compassionate conservation. I'm going to read to you Mark's response to my question. Keeping tigers and other animals in captivity so that they can breed to make more tigers and other animals who also will spend their lives cooped up in cages does nothing for the preservation or conservation of these species in any meaningful way. While some zoos, including the Palm Beach Zoo, claim they are keeping this or that species from becoming extinct, what they're really doing is maintaining a tiny gene pool of animals who will never see, hear, or smell their natural environs or never live species-typical lives that their wild relatives do. What they and other zoos need to do is to work to preserve the natural habitats of the animals in question and protect wild individuals. A tiger languishing in a zoo and being used as a breeding machine is not really an ambassador for their species. Furthermore, numerous zoos are guilty of what I call zoothanasia, the killing of otherwise healthy individuals when they are no longer useful to the zoo's breeding program. Zoos claim they have euthanized these individuals whom they call surplus animals, but this is not so. These are not mercy killings, but rather premeditated and calculated killings of animals who are no longer useful to the zoo, but who could otherwise have lived out their lives in sanctuaries. There you go. And I happen to agree with Mark 100%. One of the world's largest populations of tigers exists not in the wild, but in captivity in the United States. With an estimated 5,000 tigers, the U.S. captive tiger population exceeds the approximately 3,200 tigers in the wild. Is that crazy? There are more captive tigers than tigers living in the wild. Can you believe that? And how about elephants? We've brought this topic up on the show numerous times. There's almost universal acknowledgement that keeping elephants in captivity and at zoos is very cruel. Last year, the big news related to elephants was that Ringling Brothers decided it was time to retire their circus elephants. This is great news. And then, wouldn't you know it, last week we learned that three U.S. zoos and the African government decide to rip away and steal 18 African elephants from their homes and families in the wild and stick them in three U.S. zoos to live a life of captivity. Actually, sorry, 17, not 18 elephants were flown to the three U.S. zoos. I say 17 because one of them died in the process. The three zoos which stole these elephants from the wild and made them captive animals for zoo-goers to see are the Dallas Zoo, Sedgwick County Zoo, and Omaha's Henry Dorley Zoo. And this occurred with the blessings of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. What the hell is happening here? The sooner we seem to make a step forward in our animal welfare movement, and then this happens. 
Now, the zoos might argue, and again, this is the same old argument zoos make all the time, that they are doing something for conservation by acquiring these elephants. But others say, and I say, that this latest move is all about making money, both for the zoos and for the African governments profiting from the sale. Dr. Tony Frohoff, elephant scientist for Indefensive Animals, in a press release said, the zoos are rewarding Swaziland by paying large sums for capturing the elephants, thus making these and further captures lucrative for Swaziland and other governments. This is a huge blow to conservation. Elephants and zoos will never be returned to Africa, as one would believe by the zoo's conservation claims. These African elephants will live and die on American soil and concrete. It is the complete opposite of conservation. It is a desecration, Dr. Frohoff said. Now, you can go to animalstodayradio.com and listen to my interview with Dr. Frohoff, which was broadcast on April 2nd, titled Stealing Elephants from Africa. That's animalstodayradio.com. If you want to listen to my interview uh, with Dr. Frohoff on April 2nd. And we're going to continue this discussion of animals in captivity on next week's show when we will discuss SeaWorld's decision to discontinue their breeding program as they have acknowledged that captive breeding of orcas is no longer an acceptable practice. Do you think they did this because of all the pressure they've been receiving from the animal welfare community? Well, maybe and probably, but I can tell you one thing, finances definitely had something to do with their decision. Did you know that SeaWorld stock price has plummeted and remains a fraction of what it used to be? Also, recently SeaWorld CEO Joel Manby announced that the Orca theatrical shows will end in 2017 in San Diego and 2019 in the San Antonio and Orlando parks. So we are indeed making some progress here, but what's going to happen to the Orcas who are still in their tanks? So make sure you tune in to next week's show. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Don't go away. More with Animals Today right after the break. Hi, it's Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio. And I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe. From animals in the wild to animals on farms and in agriculture to our beloved dogs and cats, Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. And yes, Animals Today is your home for serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild, or whether your family should adopt a tortoise, or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love Animals Today. So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and join the discussion on Facebook. Thanks for listening. For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. If you're like most people, you have lots of plans. A financial plan, an exercise plan, a career plan. You also need a plan for the care of your pets when you no longer can provide it. Every day, animals are sent to shelters, terrified and confused, because their owners have become incapacitated or died. 
Unfortunately, many of them get euthanized. Some people don't give the future a thought. Others assume family members will care for their pets. A better way is to name caregivers and provide detailed instructions about your pet's feeding, social, play, and health care needs. But even designated caregivers can't guarantee your pet will join a stable and loving home. Good intentions sometimes take a backseat to life's realities, like a new spouse who doesn't like animals, a sudden desire to travel the world, or the adoptive caregiver's own illness. A legally enforceable pet trust offers the only assurance that your assets will be used as you wish to provide for the comfort and care of your cherished animal companions. Almost every state recognizes pet trusts. Find out how to create one today and take steps to make sure your pet doesn't risk becoming yet another sad shelter statistic. Plan for your pet's lifelong well-being. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIAnimals.org. That's AIAnimals.org. Hello, I'm Linda Gray, and I lost my mother and a dear friend to Alzheimer's disease. Nearly two-thirds of the five and a half million Americans suffering from Alzheimer's are women. Join the fight to help find treatments and cures for Alzheimer's faster by registering at brainhealthregistry.org. We collect vital research information online for free. Please do your part. I'm doing mine. Brainhealthregistry.org. This report is brought to you by Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo and No Barriers Warriors are teaming up for the third consecutive year to empower veterans through the Warriors to Summits Expedition Series, one of many experiences No Barriers Warriors offers veterans with disabilities to help them overcome obstacles and unleash their full potential. Selected veterans will embark on grueling expeditions to Wyoming, New Hampshire, and Colorado. Through these transformative journeys, participants will push their boundaries while reflecting on their past, recognizing where they are now and developing a vision for their future. This mental and physical challenge will help veterans make a significant change in their lives. John Toth, Director for No Barriers Warriors. We're excited to offer three expeditions in 2016 and help transform even more veterans' lives. To apply for the Warriors to Summits 2016 Expedition Series or to learn more, please visit warriorstosummits.org. Applications will be accepted through March 4th at 5 p.m. Mountain Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. This is Rick Osick, president of Famous Footwear. Our company is working together with the March of Dimes through March for Babies to raise money and awareness about the serious problem of premature birth in the U.S. As a business leader, I know that babies born very sick or too soon cost businesses billions of dollars each year, in addition to the emotional stress on employees and their families. That's why Famous Footwear is committed to raising funds to improve the health of moms and babies everywhere. Won't you please join us in the March for Babies? Start a team today at marchforbabies.org. Welcome back to Animals Today. I want to remind you to visit us at animalstodayradio.com. You can listen to all the previous shows there. You know, what comes to mind when you hear about landmines? Well, more and more often, the answer is rats. That's true. And today, uh, Charlie Richter, who is U.S. Director of Apopo, is with us, and he's going to explain what I'm talking about. Hi, Charlie. Hi. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Charlie, uh, your organization is utilizing these cute rats in a number of ways. Explain to us uh, what you're up to. So Apopo is an organization um, whose mission is to train African giant rats 
humanely to the tech lives. And I say humanely because um, animal welfare is at the top of our priorities. We always make sure that the rats are never put in harm's way um, during their detection tests. But rats essentially, um, as many of your rodent lover, loving fans might know, have a really highly advanced sense of smell and are very, very trainable. Um, and of course are much cheaper to train and maintain than a scent detection dog. So knowing that um, there's a lot of detection tasks, particularly in, in the developing world, our, our founder, who is a rat lover himself, came up with the idea that uh, rats could be a very cost-effective detection solution for the global landmine problem at first, yeah. which traditional methods of detecting landmines are very slow and expensive. And through a tedious uh, period of research, he eventually proved that they were a very good solution. And um, they've been rolled out now in Mozambique, Angola, and Cambodia. And um, we're hoping that they'll be in Colombia and Zimbabwe later in this year or next. We also actually train them to detect tuberculosis, which in traditional labs in sub-Saharan Africa and, and some South Asian countries that really don't have a lot of health care budgets, they, they use a traditional microscopy, which is a 100-year-old tool, which is highly inaccurate, but really the only cost-effective and affordable way for them to do it. Um, but our rats are, are an improved method um, over that, and we've rolled it out in Tanzania and Mozambique. They're, they're, they're more sensitive than traditional microscopes. And so those are the first two mm -hmm. applications we've come up with, but both essentially take advantage of the fact that rats are highly intelligent, highly trainable, easy to feed and maintain, and then have this uh, amazing sense of smell yeah. that is just as good, if not more so, um, than a dog. That's fascinating. Let's go a little bit into the landmine situation and then uh, finish up with the tuberculosis uh, story. Uh, how big a problem is hidden landmines? So it's tough to really say because, of course, the, the real travesty about landmines being left during a, a period of conflict is you often don't know where they are and don't know how many are out there. Um, there is... 73 countries right now that have landmines that, that are in the ground, um, at least that are confirmed. And in just Cambodia alone, there's 6 million landmines um, affecting uh, tens of millions of people. Most likely around the world, there's easily hundreds of millions of people that are affected by the threat of landmines. That's incredible. And probably that many mines. But of course, the real problem with landmines isn't necessarily the volume of the mines, but it's how, if there's one landmine in a, in, in a neighboring community and the whole community doesn't know where it is and it's uh, blocking access to a water well or to um, a road, it can really hamper that economic development yeah. until it's found and cleared. Landmines have both their direct impact on humanity but also the, the indirect impact in that it, it blocks progress and leaves people in a state of fear. Yeah. So, The rats work incredibly quickly compared to the traditional methods I saw. And can you just describe for the listeners how you actually deploy them and how they do their thing? Sure. So rats are trained through operant conditioning, much how you would train a dog to sit using uh, dog biscuits or a treat. It's a bit more complex, but over time, they eventually are taught to use a naturally occurring indication behavior, which for a rat is either scratching on the ground or pausing, um, and are taught to do that when they when they sense the smell of TNT, which is the main reason they're so much faster than humans with metal detectors, 
because they're only smelling TNT while humans with metal detectors are picking up every single false scrap of metal, which on a battlefield um, or an area where an army uh, passed through, as you can imagine, there's often a lot of metal. And even in, in tropical areas, often there's just metallic soil. So rats really can get down to what is needed to be inspected further while metal detectors yeah. have constant false positives. The training process itself starts uh, at about nine weeks, and the rats are socialized to work with humans and taught that a click sound essentially means food. And then after they've essentially associated the click sound with food, they are uh, they're introduced to the smell of TNT and tea eggs, and they will put that in a, in a sandbox. And the trainers will eventually only click when the rats are right over the TNT egg and sniffing it. And if you know rats, they just kind of run around sniffing, 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 sniffing. So once they have taught them that the smell of TNT and click means food, they then teach them to do the indicating behavior. And uh, after that, the rats have to um, essentially perform perfectly yes. on blind tests where neither the trainer or the rat knows where a deactivated landmine is, but with TNT. And we have the largest deactivated landmine field in the world wow. at our training center in Tanzania. And once they've gone through all of those processes and proven to be 100% accurate, because, of course, you can't have mistakes with landmines, they can be deployed to other countries. And even when they are deployed... They still have to, uh, every week or so, prove themselves 100% accurate on uh, modified test fields where we bury deactivated landmines and still the presence of TNT. So it's a highly quality controlled process, but it's taking advantage of the rat's natural ability to smell and the natural ability to indicate and the fact that they literally work for peanuts, as we like to say. Okay, they work cheap, but do you think these rats have a happy existence? Is this a good life for a rat? So our founder, as I, I said, he's a, a, rat, a rodent lover through and through. He uh, he, he bred, bred and trained rats all growing up. Um, he still has all sorts of rodents if you go out to where he lives now at Antwerp, Belgium, uh, running around his yard. And we like to boost that they're probably the most spoiled rodents in the world. You know, they're really well fed. They're checked by veterinarians. One thing that I should have let off with, uh, the rats are way too light to set off landmines. Oh, yeah. So they are really at no danger running over a landmine field. They also uh, are, there's never been a case of a rat getting tuberculosis, but even when we're doing a tuberculosis detection program, which I haven't gone into, you know, we, um, we, we uh, disinfect all of the samples so that there's absolutely no risk that they get the disease. So they also have plenty of time to play. I mean, the rats only work for a couple hours a day and the rest of the time they're playing with each other. We have specially designed, um, you know, living quarters that are made to mimic their natural surroundings. We do treat them like heroes, and, and we take that very seriously. I think they have a very nice life. And they, they work about seven years, which, as I said, it's not the longest work day anyway. And then we usually retire them at seven years, but sometimes rats, particularly in these quality control tests, will start showing a little bit of decline. And when that happens, we just retire them, and they live the exact same life as the detection rats in our kennels um, around the world. So they they have a very, very, very good life. 
Sounds pretty good. Uh, that's Charlie Richter, U.S. Director of Apopo. Charlie, I'd like to have you uh, come back a little bit later for a, another segment so you can just tell us a little bit more about uh, tuberculosis. We didn't have time to do that in this segment, but I really uh, appreciate you uh, coming on. And what's the website? The website is www.apopo.org, apopo.org. Thanks, Charlie Richter, from U.S. Director of Apopo. Thank you. Rita, you look upset. I am, and I'm not sure what to do. My neighbor's dog is tied up outside. He looks very skinny and sick, and I never see food or clean water given to him. You need to report this right away. What do you mean? Well, you should call Animal Services or the police and tell them about the abused and neglected dog. They can help to make sure the dog is properly taken care of. Okay, I can't stand to watch him suffer anymore. What's the number? Even though most of us take good care of our pets, not everyone treats dogs and cats with the care and compassion they need to be safe and healthy. If you see that a dog or cat is not being treated properly, report it to animal services or the police right away. Pets need food and clean water and protection from extreme weather. You can make the difference, and you don't have to give your name. Help stop pet abuse and neglect. Be their voice. Make the call. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. I'm Bob Dorigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. Class action lawsuits play an important role in our justice system. They can make it easier for large groups of people who have been injured or harmed to obtain justice by sharing legal representation. However, a petition filed recently with the U.S. Supreme Court reveals that an alarming number of class action lawsuits are enriching the lawyers while their clients get almost nothing. For example, a class action lawsuit filed over a popular brand of batteries resulted in a payday for the lawyers of $5.7 million but their clients got less than $350,000 combined. Put another way, the lawyers got 94% of the settlement money, while their clients got only 6%. That's only $0.05 for each of the 7 million folks who were harmed. Let's be fair. Compare that to the already high 33% charged by most of the contingency fee lawyers advertising on TV, and we can see just how outrageous that is. So how can this happen? Learn how by visiting our website at centerforamericatv.org. Thanks for calling Consolidated Credit Counseling Services. Can I help you? I sure hope so. I'm in debt. Is it credit card bills? Yes, I have two credit cards that I'm making minimum payments on and another that I'm behind on. I owe about $5,000. What interest rates are you paying? Between 18 and 22%. At that rate, it'll take over 20 years to pay off. Wow. 
20 years? What Consolidated Credit can do is work with your creditors to lower your payments and reduce or even eliminate your interest charges. You should be able to pay everything off in three or four years. What do I have to do? Just give me some details and get ready to celebrate your freedom from debt. We're Consolidated Credit. We're here to give you freedom from debt. Call now for your free consultation. If I had known it was this easy, I would have called years ago. Call 1-800-897-8374. 1-800-897-8374. That's 1-800-897-8374. Consolidated Credit Counseling Services Incorporated, 5701 West Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33313. Not a loan company, licensed by New York Department of Financial Service and by the Vermont Department of Financial Regulation, Maryland DM19, Oregon DM80031. Do you hear that ringing? I've heard that ringing in my ears for over 20 years. My doctor said... The ringing and buzzing in your ears is called tinnitus, and you're just going to have to learn to live with it. The constant ringing in my ears is annoying. I've tried everything, and nothing worked. So I invested my own money, met with doctors, specialists, and certified labs. After a decade of research, we've developed Tinoxyl, a prescription-free, 100% natural and effective way to stop the ringing. And better yet, it helps me sleep. Trying to sleep with ringing in my ears is almost impossible. But with Tinoxyl, I started sleeping better in the first couple weeks. I'm so confident that Tinoxyl will help you too that I'm giving the first 100 callers a free 30-day supply. Don't let the ringing in your ears control your life. Call now and get your free 30-day supply. Just pay shipping. Take back control of your life. Combat the ringing and start sleeping again. Try it for free. Call 800-930-1669. That's 800-930-1669. 800-930-1669. So, Laurie, strange news about the death of Justice Scalia, right? Yeah, tell me. So he, okay, everyone knows that he recently died, apparently in his sleep, while he was at this hunting ranch, or at Cibolo Creek Ranch. And You say everyone knows, but we don't really know if that's factual, right? Well, that's true. There's still some controversy or some questions as to what he died from, right? right? Autopsy was not done. Probably should have been done, if you ask me. Right. But he's he's gone. Now, where was he and what he, was he doing? Well, he was flown in to this uh, Cibolo Creek Ranch during a time when there was a gathering of this hunting society. They're called the Order of St. Hubertus. And this is an ancient society of hunters rooted in Catholicism that goes way back to the 17th century. This group was named after the patron saint of hunting. The U.S. chapter was launched in 1966. And he was there apparently to participate in some of these hunting rituals. It's a strange group. They wear these green smocks. and It's like it's, a cult. It is like a cult. And it's mysterious and ancient and secret. and uh, Weird. It is weird. And John Poindexter who owns the ranch, he is a leader of this uh, organization. However, it's not certain if Scalia was a member. His relationship to Poindexter and the group is unknown. He was uh, flown in along with his friend C. Allen Foster, who is a long-term Scalia friend and a former spokesperson for the organization. So I want to tell you what their motto is. Honoring God by honoring his creatures. That's the motto of this ancient uh, society that got its start in the 17th century and lives on in the United States. Honoring God by honoring his creatures, creatures yes. by murdering them? 
Yes. Well, that's, that's how we honor them. That's how we honor that's God. That's not the official motto. It's honoring God by honoring his creatures, period. <laughs> well, I can see why this motto may have developed centuries ago. I mean, after all, you did need to eat something. So uh, you, in a way, were honoring or thanking God for the creatures. And somehow it all sort of went together. But for that to be held over to be a motto in the modern hunting age seems to be a little ridiculous. Absolutely. I want to remind everyone to check us out at animalstodayradio.com and also go to iTunes. You could subscribe to the show and listen to Animals Today every week. Did you see the picture of the turkey on the commercial airline flight? This was maybe surprising to you, not surprising to me. We've been seeing all sorts of animals on planes, such as a pig, an emotional support pig. That pig was escorted off. But here is a turkey flying on a commercial airliner. Bob Ferber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Peter. Okay, so uh, Bob, you saw this uh, turkey, this turkey of a story. And uh, what was your impression? <laughs> what, what's going on? Well, it, this is, uh, there's a lot of comedy in this, but it's also pretty serious. Uh, you know, the, your listeners, many of them probably know the history of this. That You know, the issue started years ago about that there are animals that are for emotional support. And there are some legitimate situations where people need an animal, not because like a seeing eye dog that helps somebody who's blind or deaf, but they give emotional support for somebody that has anxiety or severe depression. Well, the as we know, there are animals other than dogs and cats that can be used for emotional support. And, and But the question is, you know, these people have rights to have their animals with them uh, on things like public transportation. But what happens when you start using exotic animals? And years ago, there was a case where somebody brought a pig on a plane, and it was for emotional support. And I think it was American Airlines who really rebelled against it. So this is ridiculous. But the federal government passed the Air Carrier Access Act, which is kind of in conjunctions with the Americans with Disability Act, mm -hmm. And it made it clear that not only can service animals be on, on a public transportation like a plane, service animals being like a senile dog, but animals for emotional support. The, they didn't really go much further about what animals can or cannot be on, the, on these planes. They, uh, they left it to the airline saying, well, why don't you use your good judgment in deciding which animals should be on a plane and should not? Well, this is turned into something where somebody has, has a turkey and says, this turkey has is my emotional support animal. And the right. question is, how do you deal with a turkey on an airplane when everybody is seat-belted into their seats and they could go on a flight that goes as long as, you know, 17 hours mm. until you, if you're going to go to Australia or something, or at least five hours going cross-country, six hours. How do you deal with an animal that, is has issues like you know defecation and urination and barking or squawking or gobbling right um right. and allergies people that have allergies bob hi the, this is Lori. does a person need a certificate to prove that this animal is an emotional support animal no um, and this and this is a whole issue involving Americans with Disability Act that they still are relying on that you don't really need a letter 
from a doctor or a therapist. I don't believe that it's required. However, with the airline, the, because the airlines have been given a lot of discretion, most of the airlines are expecting a letter from some therapist or somebody that says this animal is a therapy animal. Uh, in answer to your question, Laurie, it's unfortunately too easy to fake it, to fake emotional support and get a letter you know, from a therapist. Uh, I frankly know therapists personally that probably would write a letter for me saying that Bob needs, needs his dog or cat or rat or if I had a pig or a turkey, that he should have it. And so you pay a little money, you get the letter, and then you show up and the airline's like, uh-oh, well, how do we fit this animal into the airplane? Yeah. And, you know, the real issue is there's an issue of safety, and the airline is allowed to exclude an animal if they think it affects safety. But the biggest issue is not the safety, it's the comfort of the other passengers. That's right, so, and you can't, you, you, you can't uh, change seats so easily these days anymore, and, if, and regardless if the plane is filled and you find yourself sitting next to the turkey, you're sort of, you're sort of out of luck in that situation. Right. Who wants to and, smell and, that know, turkey the whole flight? Yeah. And you, you, that's right. They talk about changing seats. That's not easier said than done. You also really have a real problem that, you know, some people have compared this to babies. And, and I personally, it drives me crazy, like many people having a screaming baby on an airplane. But the difference between a baby and most animals is, is the big difference is you can put a diaper on a baby. Uh, so most people are not going to have to deal with a terrible smell or, you know, at least temporarily. But for the most part, the, the health issues of defecation and urination can be dealt with with a baby. Bob, on a, on a health issue related note, then let's say you're sitting next to someone who brings in their cat in a carrier and you're allergic to cats. Right. You're allergic to cats and you can't put a litter box on the cat on the plane either. So you've got, and the allergy is a very big issue. Uh, if you're a passenger, you could argue that very seriously that my allergy is a disability. So I have a right as a disabled passenger who has an allergy to cats, I have a right to be on a plane with, with and you have to accommodate my disability. So right. you can't put a cat next to me. So you've got a person with an allergy with a disability, you've got a person with an emotional disability who's got wants an animal. How do you deal with this? Well, the federal government is sort of leaving it to the airlines, and that's not too much comfort because you don't really know what's going to happen. You could get a, you could pay for a first class ticket and pay ten thousand dollars to go cross country and find yourself sitting next to a cat that you're definitely allergic to. Mm. So it's not been resolved. It's going to continue on. It's something I think would be interesting for us to keep following on your radio show and see what happens as people keep pushing along. One last thing, though, I really, it's very important, is that this probably wouldn't be coming up except for the fact that so many people are faking their emotional support just so they can have their animals right, with them. Right. People are bringing animals into movie theaters, on airplanes, and one thing is that for a regular animal to come on to, on an airplane, you have to pay pretty much a regular ticket. If you can say that the animal is a service animal or a therapy animal, it goes for free. Well, this is spread all over. People know it. So get the letter from your therapist, and now Fluffy can come on the plane for free rather than paying $300. Bob, one more thing I'd like you to comment on, and that is 
the disappearance of peanuts from planes. We were talking about allergies and peanut allergies can be very severe. You can't get a peanut on a plane anymore uh, for fear that it's going to, uh, uh, that its essence is is going to harm someone a distant, some distance away. That is a, Great comment, Peter. Uh, I resent the idea that I can't get a peanut because somebody 10 aisles down from me might be allergic to they <laughs> accidentally ingest a, a peanut. But it's, putting my own feelings aside, it really illustrates a growing trend in this country to try to respect individual needs. But how do you balance that with the needs of the majority? Yeah. Uh, there, I know people with serious food allergies that are very upset that uh, they can't go into a lot of restaurants and get their their special needs accommodated. Um, I'm not sure why the airlines have suddenly gone from one extreme to the other and have eliminated peanuts because it's not just peanuts, as you guys know as doctors, there are people that are allergic to everything short of oxygen. Uh, so how are you going to, where does it end? I, I honestly don't know the answer to this, but in general, the law about disabilities is that you have to balance accommodations. You have to be reasonable. This is a very easy thing to say when you're talking about accommodating in a public place, in a hotel or something. But when you're talking about an airplane, when everybody is crunched together and everybody is already complaining about the, you know, the, the tray table in front of them is banging into them because of the person in front of them. And, you know, now you're going to say, well, you can't have peanuts and you can't have chocolate. With. And, you know, not that I'm against it, but, you know, we all recall the days when you could smoke a cigarette on an airplane. That was a that was fairly long time ago, but you watch an old movie. And, you know, that was the beginning of it's not fair for people who are non-smokers to have to ingest smoke. Mm-hmm. So they first put the smokers in one section. Well, that was a joke because the smoke went off of the plane. Well, now they eliminate it. You have people who still say, how dare I not be able to smoke on an airplane? This is simply all an extension of a, a society that is trying to make accommodations for everybody's individual needs, but how do you draw, where do you draw the line? Mm-hmm. And I think the peanuts is a really good example that it's gone a little too far for me. I'm sure you're going to get a lot of uh, angry responses from people now who are allergic to peanuts <laughs> because of my comments. Bob Ferber, animal law expert, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. This is Rick Osick, president of Famous Footwear. Our company is working together with the March of Dimes through March for Babies to raise money and awareness about the serious problem of premature birth in the U.S. As a business leader, I know that babies born very sick or too soon cost businesses billions of dollars each year, in addition to the emotional stress on employees and their families. That's why Famous Footwear is committed to raising funds to improve the health of moms and babies everywhere. Won't you please join us in the March for Babies? Start a team today at marchforbabies.org. You've got better ways to spend your time and money than fiddling around with new blinds. I know, because I've been selling them for nearly 30 years. I'm Jay Steinfeld, founder of Blinds.com. I started my company with a mission to make this overwhelming problem simple. Here's how it works. You call us, and our design consultants guide you to the blinds that are just right for you. We send you free samples, offer free shipping, and walk you through every step of the measuring and installation absolutely free. We've helped millions of homeowners save lots 
lots of time and money, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee means you can't get it wrong. We'll do whatever it takes to make you happy and save you up to 30% compared to one of those big retail stores. You can do this, and we'll be with you every step of the way. Right now, Blinds.com is offering 20% off your order. Go to Blinds.com and use promo code DANA, but only until February 29th. Whether it's one window or your whole home, go to Blinds.com and use promo code DANA today. Save 20% between now and February 29th at Blinds.com. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. A monkey, an animal rights organization, and a primatologist walk into a federal court to sue for infringement of the monkey's claimed copyright. Sounds like a joke, right? but it's actually a line from a real court document filed by a lawyer for a photographer who was sued last year by the group People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. To make a long story short, a monkey in Indonesia took a picture of himself using a camera that a nature photographer had left unattended. It was hilarious, and the monkey's selfie went viral. Unfortunately, that's when the real monkey business started, and PETA sued the photographer. It claimed that the monkey, not him, should get any money generated by the photo. Let's be fair. I know our legal system sometimes seems like it's gone bananas, but I'm happy to say that a federal judge has just issued a tentative ruling upholding common sense. He says that a monkey can't own a copyright. PETA, however, pledges to keep fighting. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamericatv.org. Hello, I'm Linda Gray, and I lost my mother and a dear friend to Alzheimer's disease. Nearly two-thirds of the five and a half million Americans suffering from Alzheimer's are women. Join the fight to help find treatments and cures for Alzheimer's faster by registering at brainhealthregistry.org. We collect vital research information online for free. Please do your part. I'm doing mine. Brainhealthregistry.org. Listening to Animals Today Radio, your home for serious talk about animals. Now in its eighth year, Animals Today covers all animal-related topics and issues worldwide, with an emphasis on animal welfare. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit animal welfare organization Advancing the Interests of Animals. Its mission is to improve the lives of animals and to encourage increased compassion and respect for all living beings. Check them out at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Your donation to Advancing the Interests of Animals will support the ongoing production of Animals Today. Just visit aianimals.org and click support us. And thanks for listening. Major support for Animals Today Radio comes from International Society for Animal Rights. For decades, ISAR has been a world leader in the battle against dog and cat overpopulation and its moral, social, and economic costs. Please visit their website at www.isaronline.org. Welcome back to the show. Okay, so it's kitty season. Have you heard that term, kitty or kitten season? When I first heard that, I found it to be sort of strange because it implies that more kittens are born at certain times of the year than others. And not being directly involved in cat rescue and feral cat colony management, I really had never thought about it. So what exactly is kitty season? And what do you need to know about it? I want to welcome to the show David and Lee Kirk, founders of Forever Meow Cat Rescue, a nonprofit cat rescue run entirely by volunteers dedicated to ending the unnecessary shelter euthanasia of cats and kittens in the Coachella Valley of California. Welcome to the show, guys. 
Hi there. David, what is kitten season? Uh, Lori, broadly speaking, kitten season is that period when most kittens are born in any particular geographical regions. Cats can produce uh, all throughout the year, but their reproductive drive is highly tuned to the temperature, and there has to be at least 12 hours of daylight in a day. In Coachella Valley's latitude, with our temperature, that's basically from the end of February through mid-October. Cat's gestation period is about nine weeks, so we expect the first litters in March, the beginning of April. In other words, right now is kitten season. So kitten season varies in different climates. Oh, absolutely. As I said, the reproductive cycle is tied to temperatures and hours of light. So whereas ours is around March to October, Alaska or Minneapolis would be completely different. Cats can become fertile many times a year. Why do you think there is this season where it peaks, David? Well, as we come out of our winter, which is the low period of reproduction, there are very few female cats already pregnant. So as the males uh, become active and start roaming, they find many more females to, um, to mate with, and, and hence the peak is usually at the start of, of the reproductive season. Lee, from a practical standpoint, what does kitty season mean to cat rescue groups like yours? Well, this is when a tsunami of kittens and kitten litters start arriving in shelters and rescues, and these are typically found on the streets or in the fields by people in the public, and it's absolutely the time when all shelter and rescue and foster resources are strained to the limit and beyond. So let's say I'm walking around and I come across some kittens. What should I do? Well, most people who come across a litter of newborn or very, very young kittens out in the public definitely have a compassionate instinct to save them. Unfortunately, people don't realize what is involved in saving them or what that really means. Um, so the first instinct is that people want to pick them up, and sometimes that can have unintended negative consequences. And this is because neonatal kittens have a very poor survival rate with inexperienced human bottle feeders. And most shelters simply do not have adequate resources for all of those neonatal litters that end up in their hands. And so these litters end up being euthanized in the shelter. Um, you know, humans just can't provide the level of nurturing that mother cats can. And it's also very traumatizing for the mother cats to have their litters literally stolen. Moreover, rarely do mother cats abandon their litters, and this is what people tend to think if they see a litter without the mother. And in reality, the mother cat is usually either off feeding herself or she's in the process of moving her litter to a safer nest. It's very typical for mom cats to move their litters once or twice while they're raising them um, for survival instinct. And then finally, um, a lot of mothers like to take a break from nursing, and when they do that, they tend to sit off to the side and hold vigil over their nest or their hiding place for the litter. So people will often come across that litter, and mom cat's just lurking, <laughs> lurking somewhere nearby, and um, you know she has not abandoned them. So we encourage people to, before they pick up that litter, best uh, action is to photograph them, 
and uh, leave them alone and give the mother cat a chance to come back. And we suggest leaving them alone for a couple of hours and um, share that photo or video with the shelter or rescue group to determine the age of the kittens because that will depend on what resources are needed to rescue them if that is indeed needed. And then in a couple of hours, if mom cat hasn't come back um, then and the kittens seem as though they're hungry or in distress, that might be the time to rescue them. But, you know, when we say really leave that nest alone for a couple of hours, and give mom cat a chance to come back because she's hiding and lurking and she sees you. So if you run and check on that nest every 15 minutes, you know, she won't come back. So definitely leave them alone, um, especially if they're not clearly in distress. When you say leave them alone, give them a distance. Don't be hovering over them. Like leave and then come back in a couple hours, correct? Right. Lee, what if the kittens are in an area where predators, other predators can get to them? Should, should I pick up the kittens and move them to another area close by? You know, this is a common reason why people say they pick them up because they felt that the environmental conditions were unsafe. Um, we usually suggest that when it comes to predators, you know, these mom cats are um, typically savvy. Um, know how to hide and protect their litters. And it's a part of um, sort of the ecology to kind of let, let them do their thing in the environment. Other times, people find them in odd places like construction sites where there's a lot of activity and, you know, earth needs to be moved and mom's nest is in the way. If it's a case like that, then, you know, unfortunately, the kittens will have to be gathered. And if possible, we recommend um, finding and capturing mom cat, even if that, that means having to trap her and get her saved. Um, you know, that, that sometimes has to be done because of the nature of the environmental area where the mom and the nest is found. David, any concluding thoughts here? Uh, Nothing different than what we've already said. I think the single most important thing is stop. Don't let your natural compassionate instinct uh, take over and do something that may have negative consequences. So if the kittens are not in distress, take a little break for a couple of hours. Let the mother have the chance to do her job. They're usually very, very good at it. And we've seen so many times when people have gone back after two hours and the litter has gone safely. Great advice. Thank you so much, David and Lee Kirk. You're welcome. And thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals.